0: Legalizefreedom.com.
1: Greetings and welcome once again to LegalizeFreedom.com. I'm your host Greg Moffat and today we present part 2 of our interview with David Ditchfield discussing his book, Shine On the remarkable story of how I fell under a speeding train, journeyed to the afterlife, and the astonishing proof I brought back with me. In the second part, we explore David's near-death experience in more detail, the overlap such experiences have with psychic phenomena and altered states of consciousness, and the potential implications for the survival of our species and our understanding of the nature of reality itself. Personal transformation aside, The most profound way in which near-death experiences affect wider society and the source of their positive potential for our future is in how they change attitudes and behaviour towards others and towards the planet as a whole. Losing one's fear of death, discovering a vibrant new zest for life, abandoning attachment to material things and striving to help others can create ripple effects with potentially global reach. Even simply reading about near-death experiences can generate these transformative effects in individuals. Given the possibility of a species-wide near-death experience in the shape of social and environmental collapse, are we being impelled to evolve or die? Hello and welcome David and thank you so much for joining us again on LegalizeFreedom.com. Oh, it's a pleasure. Great to be back, Greg. Now David, today we're doing a follow-up interview to one that we... Conducted uh, just only a few weeks ago. And we were talking about what what happened to you, an amazing thing that happened to you, a near death experience that you had. And this is chronicled in your book, which was recently published, and that's called Shine On uh, The Remarkable Story of How I Fell Under a Speeding Train, Journeyed to the Afterlife, and the Astonishing Proof I Brought Back With Me. Now, if listeners haven't heard that, I recommend that they do. Uh, There we talk a great deal about your life before your near death experience and how it was transformed after that. But today we're really going to talk about the actual experience itself. Now of course I'm going to ask you to begin describing aspects of this and the whole point is that these things are quite ineffable really and they just defy description. And this indeed is why uh, you've begun to try and express elements of your experience in other ways, you know, through your, your painting and the music, something that you did not display any proclivity for prior to that. Mm -hmm. But uh, perhaps we could get started with a common theme or a common uh, comment that's made about near death experience, near death experiences by those who um, undergo them. And that is that they seem more real than reality itself or the 3D reality that we consider um, all that there is. So maybe I could get your take on that. And this is sort of a general comment about the whole episode. Really, and uh, and how that how that felt to you, you know, in terms of its quality, mm. re- regarding how you feel now, sitting wherever you are, talking to me across the internet.
0: Yeah. Um, well, yeah, that's that's very interesting because that's exactly how I I feel about it. That the the whole experience itself was I would describe it as ultra real, and uh, because it was just so sort of, it wasn't like. You know, I was fully aware of myself and, and being in my own body, but um, th- it was also most certainly a different um, sphere altogether. And I was fully aware of that fact. Um, the, the one thing that was very striking to me that, that I noticed straight away that I'd, I'd, I'd um, lost all sense of all the baggage that I'd been carrying around with me, the emotional baggage that I'd been carrying th- throughout the past, you know, and it had gone instantly. All the sensation of guilt, which was like a big thing for me, had gone. And I would describe it as being, for the first time in my life, uh, actually being in the moment, as it were. Um, you know, I, I wasn't thinking about the past and I wasn't thinking about the future either. Whereas my life before, that's what it was all based about. You know, it was just like feeling like the past was always like there haunting me and worrying about my future, where it was all going to go. But all that had dispersed. So, I would say that there was yeah there was a sense of um, being in a completely different place, but also being completely in touch with my with my soul if you like yeah
1: well, this is very much borne out when people who are experiencing difficulties in their life and perhaps uh, seek some help with it or indeed you could use you could say it describes a general condition of of many of us is that we are kind of like lost in the past and the future and never really present where we are right now. That's right. And that's, you know, that that all there really is is the present moment. And that's not to say don't plan for the future, but it's so common. I mean, Eckhart Tolle's whole model really of, uh, you know, of, of how to live is built on this idea that, you know, that the past is gone and that the future never arrives really. And that, uh, you know, so you, you're, you're kind of reality is being created as you go. And, uh, it can be very powerful and for you to experience it in such a way, it certainly, uh, would you say it, it lightened you in terms of load, in terms of how you, and how you view life now. That's certainly how it comes across in your book.
0: Yeah, exactly. That's it. I mean, when, when I'd come back as it were into my own body, um, it was, it was very apparent to me that, uh, I'd still got that sensation. It was very powerful uh, running through me. And, uh, throughout the, my recovery time in hospital, even though I was physically in a very, very bad way, both family and friends would come in and comment on me on just how right I seemed. You know, my mother said that I was glowing. She would describe me as glowing whenever she walked into the room. And, um, and she said that I, even though i could hardly move it was like i was radiating this kind of sense of of warmth and help towards people around me even the the nurses you know and i think it's because i just felt so great about myself that i just wanted to spread that love you know and so it's it certainly stayed with me yeah throughout my life i mean obviously there's moments when it's, it's not like that all the time i'm not superhuman i haven't come back with these kind of superhuman powers you know i'm Um, So you know there's times when life has challenged me so much but then i have to just stop and think about it remember that moment and go back to it um but the, the interesting thing is is that i would have never thought about any of these aspects at all before in my life you know before i was literally skimming the surface as it were and you know i was just like never really dealing with that idea that notion of being in in the moment and uh and and So yeah, it was a a very profound change for me. It also reminds
1: us of another uh, important lesson that many of us, our minds are never still. There's always thoughts are churning up, emotions are churning up and it's it's constant. Now sometimes this is positive, you might be thinking about what you're going to have for dinner or about an upcoming holiday you've got, but equally it could be very negative things, often is. And you could be feeling emotions around those thoughts, positive and negative, but what you experience again reminds us that, that those thoughts and emotions are not us. Many people feel defined not only by their life situation but by by what they think they are, which is what they feel and and you were kind of blasted outside of that for a
0: short time as well yeah absolutely i mean i I would say that before like like I would uh I would take too much on, you know, it, uh, I was very sort of, you know, I'd only have to have a passing comment from a, a stranger in the street or in a supermarket or something like that, you know, just, a, a, and it would, if it was a negative one, it would just stick and I'd take it uh, so seriously, you know, and uh, so it was like my mind was just like this constant traffic of information that was not all you know, it was like it was a mess. It was it was like spaghetti junction in Birmingham. You know, rather than like this straight flowing highway of ideas. Because yeah, it is sometimes. If it's good to have a busy mind, but as long as that busy mind is actually sort of uh, controlled, and it's all going in in you know, and it's all going in neat directions, as it were. Whereas mine wasn't. So yeah,
1: what's very striking for me as well, having also read a lot about dreams and. <clears throat> about psychedelic experiences, you know, psychedelic drug experiences is the commonalities. Now, that's a whole show in itself, really. But mm. not having experienced anything like you have, but I have had dreams. We all dream. We all know how strange mm-hmm. they can be and they can be very, yeah. they can be very pleasant, very unpleasant. Often as not, they're just strange. I, I've also had psychedelic experiences personally a few times mm. en- enough to get a handle on the experience so that if I'm talking to someone, like I I recently did with uh, Christopher Bish, people can find that's a recent show that I did. He's basically, his life's work has been exploring that side of reality. But uh, I don't know about the latter. I don't want to probe into your personal life too much. But as far as dreams go, at the very least, Mm. did you feel it had had dreamlike qualities? Because when you read in your book the description of your actual experience, it sounds like you're Mm. talking about a dream.
0: Ah, interesting. Yeah. It's, there's a, a absolute, um, um, difference in my mind. And, and most other people who've had near-death experiences will say that you know that it's not a dream because even though I say it was like a, another realm, uh, it, it was incredibly real and it was in, as real as you and I are just sat talking now, even though it's over the internet, you know, uh, we know that it's happening. We know that we are both sat in our own apartments or our homes, chatting to each other and, and dreams are more. And I mean, dreams are more chaotic and 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 bizarre. And not only that, if dreams can change as well in your, in your memory. You know, when you record a dream back, you know, you think about it, and and the time sort of like sort of elements sort of changes with that dream, and they don't stay with you for that long. I mean, this you know, near death experiences. I mean, funny enough, when I came back from the near death experience, I was so worried. I mean, I went straight into into theatre and I was under anesthetic for eight, eight hours. And when I came through, I was just kind of scared that I was going to forget everything that had happened, and I thought, I've got to tell the world about this, so I need to know, I need to record it. Which is, I know now that I've never forgotten a single element of it. And and that, as I say, that kind of ultra-real and logical element to it all was, has just stayed with me and has never shifted or changed. It's funny, if I talk to... People now, or in fact, people I know who have known me for, for for some time, when they've heard some of the interviews, but they say that's really interesting. When I heard your description of your near-death experience, it's like it's nothing has changed. In you know, you haven't sort of suddenly said, "Well, you know, this happened now." Then I was there. So, yet everyone says it's, it's very sort of um, you know that the story is very consistent, if you like.
1: Well, that's interesting, given the the point we made about it being more real than reality, because. We all have, uh, whether we're aware of it or not, recounted so-called actual events and people in our lives incorrectly. Um, a bit like mm. when maybe a group of people are recalling something, you know, perhaps something they did together. Oh yeah. Do you remember that night we were at the, uh, <laughs> the bar and, yes, and, I know, and yeah. Bob spilt that red wine down, <laughs> down his new shirt and, uh, you know, that, that, that pink one. It wasn't a pink shirt. It was a white shirt. No, no, it was definitely pink. And, mm-hmm. and that can actually, Go into like much more significant aspects of reality. I don't know if you've heard of the Mandela effect. This is basically, it's named after Nelson Mandela and it was oh, okay. a, a phenomenon experienced by a lot of people around the world and it's, the internet has allowed people to come together and share experiences in, in a way that was difficult beforehand or would take a lot longer. And mm. when Nelson Mandela's death was announced, a significant number of people, you know, basically came forward in various ways and said, But he's already dead. And I go, well, he's not. He's just died. Don't be silly. But there were (laughs) a significant number of people who were absolutely convinced that Nelson Mandela had died. And it's called the Mandela (laughs) effect. There they have, they have an experience and and they have it in common. I say it's not just one person. And somebody Mm. else would say, yeah, I'm sure I read about his death in the paper. And it's just interesting. Why is that happening? Now, for example, it has happened to me very recently. Um, Mm. Henry Kissinger, the, the, the notable statesman. Sure. Um, is is famous you know in sort of geopolitical circles he popped up in the media recently making some statement about the the ongoing virus pandemic and i actually said hang on a minute kissinger's, <laughs> kissinger's dead i said kissinger is dead he died ages ago he was really old he wasn't looking too good but apparently mm-hmm. he's not and i i spoke to some other people about this people who have an interest in these affairs and i found at least one other person who knows a lot about this and he said yeah i saw that and i was convinced yeah. kissinger was
0: dead yeah. I know exactly what you're talking about, yeah, and I and I've been guilty of it also. And I've actually seen sometimes a few people who are like like film stars or actors and stuff like that who've been interviewed and they've turned around and uh, and they've said that you know the uh, one of them actually said that they they read he read his own obituary, you know, in newspapers. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still alive. I haven't gone yet, you know. so yeah um, well so I think it was Clive James, actually. It might have been Clive James because it, I know that he was like you know he was ill for quite some time, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so I think they figured that he'd he'd gone you know he hadn't he was still around, so of course he was enjoying that because of his dry sense of humour you know so <laughs> oh there's a there's a journalist
1: colleague of mine, and one part of his job is he often gets asked for retrospective sort of life stories a bit basically for uh notable people who die. So now people can die very suddenly. So one thing he has on file is a huge number of draft obituaries for people who are older and non well.
0: <laughs> mm, oh yeah, I'm and, sure. And yeah, he I'm he, sure he, he
1: updates them, you know. So if celebrity X um, is on the uh, watch list, so to speak, um, <laughs> he will have a he'll have an obituary ready to go. And then if celebrity X releases a new album or does a new film or some other notable life event, he'll add that to the obituary. So it's basically ready to go. Um But anyway, my point was about your experience and how that stayed with you so profoundly, because well, it was such a mm. you know profound experience. But there's other things you would think. Well, there, surely there'd be life events that you would never forget the details of. But people forget details of births, marriages, funerals, things that you think you could never forget, and those things fade. And yeah. as, as far as dreams go, yeah, they they can be very, very, very difficult to hold on to. This is perhaps the most basic difference between the experience you had in a dream. Um, mm-hmm. Some people who chronicle their dreams, you know you know how important it is to get it down, to record it first thing mm-hmm. afterwards. Because even the, there's dreams, experiences I've had that I felt that were unforgettable. They were absolutely shattering. And by, by lunchtime, mm-hmm. by lunchtime, they
0: started to go. You know, the details are starting to fade. Yeah, exactly, yeah. But, but not only that, they're just not... They, they fade their importance fades as well. You know, at first they are because you think, wow, that was a really profound dream, you know, and you just want to keep repeating it to people and stuff. But after a bit, it you know, you think, oh no, it, it doesn't really matter that much in your life, you know, whereas like a near death experience is so life changing and so profound that it, uh, for me, for example, it's, 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 uh, it's become part of a, big, a huge part of my life, you know, it's something that I've, um, that I carry with me pretty much every day. Somebody asked me, Yesterday I did an interview and I said, "Oh, you, do you ever think about your NDE?" I was going, "Well, yeah, you know, it's it's this very, it's kind of like because it's it's such a big change for me, it's such a big shift, that that I just." um not what, not what I wanted, I wanted to talk about me and, and, and how it's changed my life because of me, but because I want other people to know about it because it's right from the very off. That's what I wanted to do. You know, I, I, I actually figured initially when I had my near death experience, because I knew nothing about them, I thought I was the only person for it to happen to, you know, which sounds very uh, self-centered, but I didn't know. I didn't know anything about it. And so I thought I, I, the, the whole world has got to hear about this. And, and also, you know, what is, what is my quest? What? Why have they done, so, shown me this, and why have they sent me back and given me all this knowledge and this, you know? So it's it's something that becomes very important to you. And, uh, I mean, there are certain people I, I, I've come across, you know, that have had near death experiences and they've suppressed them, which I I think it can't be a good idea. But, you know, but that's life, isn't it? I mean, there's, you know, it's like certain uh, things happen to sort of us as, as in our lives that we suppress that we shouldn't do, that we should really get in touch with. But, um, and, but yeah for me i did do i decided that i wanted to address it straight away and uh, and continue to uh, look into it and, and you know find out more about it and other people's experiences as well so yeah it's very very much a part of my life so and if it was just a dream it certainly wouldn't be now. just I mean it wouldn't it wouldn't be that important to me
1: no because sometimes we have dreams that we feel are trying to tell us something and there's a whole aspect of psychology devoted to analysing dreams, but people can get repeated messages through dreams, usually like in symbolic form and either not understand them or misinterpret them or just brush them aside because they don't understand mm-hmm. what, the, what the message is. In my experience, most dreams, however strange, are trying to impart some kind of information. It's some kind of feedback. Uh, even if it seems to be random nonsense, it generally isn't. It's just trying to interpret it. That mm-hmm. It can be the the difficult part now as far as the near-death experience and telling other people goes having read many accounts of it and also many books filled with accounts uh, where the author does some analysis and interpretation one of the most common things is simply that people don't want to be considered insane or that they're losing their minds by telling other people about this and that has happened Mm -hmm. i've spoken to near-death experiences and, and read about some of them who've told their friends and family and they've you haven't ostracized them, but they said, Oh, you know, what are you talking about? You're out of <laughs> your mind, you know, and they don't like that. They don't like that. So, of course, they do try and write it off, but, and then you'll just chalk it up to, um, like a sort of psychological event, a bit like a dream, you know, um, and just mm-hmm. say, yeah, well, that, that was strange, but it's clear from, you know, reading about your experience and it just backs up what I read uh, of others is that this is something that you, you know, it's important. And even if you wanted to, um, you couldn't suppress it. So for those I think who are quote unquote successfully suppressing something like this, I don't think they are really. It's going to find its way out somehow, even if it's, if it's like not visible, even if it's just through the, the difficulty of, of keeping something like that down, you know, it's like any, something. Yeah. some things need to come out and they will come out one way or another.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It has to, most certainly. And, I, you know, I feel so. I mean, I think I I met one guy when I was in hospital, and I I remember telling I was in the the, um, physio um, sort of gym, as it were, in the hospital, and there was all amputees in there. And I told them my story when I was having a coffee break, and um, everyone heard it and listened through. And this guy came up to me afterwards, and uh, he'd been in a high-speed chase He'd been on a motorbike. He it was a stolen bike and uh, you know, and he was going 125 miles an hour and came off on the motorway and survived it. And he came up to me and said, that, he said, mate, he said, you know, that thing you were just talking about. I said, yeah, he said, that happened to me too. I was going, really? I said, have you, have you talked about it? Have you said anything? He was going, nah, he said, everyone, all my mates have just been called nuts, you know, and he just kind of. There you go, and I kind of to this day I wonder whether he's got to the point where he's thought, no, I can't just sit on this any longer, you know, <laughs> or whether he's continued to suppress it because um, it is—it's such, it's such a, a massive event, and uh, and I just said you've got to talk about it, you know, you've got to don't don't sit on it, but um, who knows? Yeah,
1: some people are listening, um, especially if they've listened to the previous program might be saying okay well when are you going to talk about this event so let's do let's do that in in a way i can i understand why last time when we spoke we kind of didn't get round to this because for me i was much more interested in the transformation Uh, but as i mentioned Mm -hmm. to you off air i think if you do read a lot about near-death experiences and similar you don't necessarily take them for granted but you take certain things as given so if I hear that somebody has a near death experience, I will, I'll be fascinated to hear about their experience, but then be very, inter- more interested really in what has changed for them. Um, but for mm. those who only, and we don't want to preempt your book, by the way, what, you know, that's just to give an entire chapter out, but, uh, tell us something about the actual experience. Um, you found yourself lying on a stone slab, basically, um, as yeah. surrounded by beings, but there was a, a, of course, there was much more to your, your surroundings. So just tell us a little bit about that and then about your sense of, you know, your, your feelings and your and your sense of location, you know, like sort of like mm. if you felt that you were anywhere in particular or if there was any quality to any aspect of it that, that was really notable for you.
0: Well, initially um, I'd gone from being in the a and emergency department and there was a there's a lot of frantic sort of, uh, energy going on because doctors were like flying around all the science going above my head. And they were, you know, I was losing a lot of blood. So they were trying to save me at that point. And, um, also, you know, hospital, we, we all know this. If you've been into on a hospital trolley, the, the lights are just kind of really bright. And I just remember all that was overkill. And I went from that scenario and to, to, um, what felt like. Well, I thought it was a darkened room to start with, but when I say a darkened room, I mean a, like a really warm sort of comforting darkened room. And, uh, and, and I, it was, it, it was like instantaneous that I'd gone from, from one place to another, but it wasn't like a sudden jolt. It was like a real sort of lovely transaction. And, uh, and I instantly started, wanted to look around to, to, to find out where I was and get my bearings on everything and I, and I looked and the, the first thing I noticed actually were these like pulsating lights that were slowly pulsating all around me, and I was, felt an instant sense of comfort um, from them, so I knew I was safe i I, I just knew it instantaneously that I was safe and but I also felt straight away that that I had died I thought i this i i didn't make it i'm'm I'm, I'm, in the next stage, you know, I'm dead. Uh, but there was no sense of, um, fear or sort of anxiety and at all, you know, and, and trying to hang on to life. I, I, you know, I wasn't trying to sort of, you know, don't, you know, trying to push myself back into, into my own body back in the hospital. I was, I was totally accepting as to, as to where I was and I was completely happy with it. Um, so, um, yeah but uh, and that's but the interesting thing was it was it was that i f- felt uh that there was somebody close to me at that stage i felt that there was somebody there a presence of someone and that's when i looked and through this darkness i saw this beautiful androgynous being sort of just stood at my feet wearing just like a, a simple contemporary black t-shirt if you like and uh and this being was uh kind of the skin it was just kind of glowing it was almost like a glow that was coming from in, inside but it was a very contemporary human form as well you know and um nothing unusual or sort of like about it at all other than it so it was very but not only that the face the face and the expression on that face was I felt like I knew that 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 person that being I knew that I knew their face and and I and the and I felt this sense of comfort and uh, that I was being guarded and protected by this being. And it was like a meeting my soulmate. It was like, like the, the old, ultimate soulmate that, uh, that I'd known all my life and, and perhaps beyond, you know. So I felt totally um, um, at ease. And I thought, okay. I'm safe here and this is, this is good and, and death is not a bad thing at all. <laughs> so where, what happens next? I wondered. So, um, yeah, it was, um, you know, it, it was just, as I say, it was just a very comforting uh, feeling and, and, um, <laughs> and I laid my head back and, uh, and at that point I remember seeing, I looked up and there were like three grids of, of white light. That were like closing in on me, and when I looked into that white light, that's interesting as well because the light was so bright that normally I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't be able to look at it if it was electric light or sunlight. It just would be too bright and intense for me to look at. But I just couldn't take my gaze away from this light because I felt that it was, it was healing me. I felt that it was like sort of, you know, it was helping me, not so much healing my, my, my wounds, my body, but my soul. And as I talked about earlier, from all the years or the baggage that I carried, it felt like I was just being cleansed throughout, and uh, and it was just sort of like uh, you know getting rid of all all that negative energy that I carried around with me. And um, then I decided to to look at that point, just to check on my 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 wounds because my my left arm had been severed uh, from the elbow down. So I remember seeing that so. I wanted to look and see how that was looking, and so I kind of lifted my head again and looked down, and I realized that I wasn't actually clothed anymore, um, but I was just covered in like this blue sheet, I was like, and it, but this blue sheet was like a sort of a very cool sort of satin sheet, and it felt very comforting, and uh, and I remember the light was just kind of like reflecting off these the, these grids uh, onto this sheet, and uh, and all my wounds were completely healed. The, everything was intact. There wasn't there wasn't even a single scratch. And um so I just thought, wow, this is just this is really beautiful. This is really amazing. Um and it was at that point I realised that I'd got two other beings that had had arrived either side um to in female form. One of them to my right was has just like long brown dark hair and I remember it's sort of green sort of blue eyes and quite sort of um european look uh, i guess and uh and then the, the 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 female to my left was more um american Indian or um you know yeah or sort of Asian Indian you know I couldn't tell I couldn't decipher between but anyway but but and she was covering her hands over my body, in fact, they both were and they both and the hand i've never had reiki healing but i've seen films and footage of of, of it being done and i thought wow that's just like what's going on with me and their hands weren't actually touching me but they were just kind of slowly hovering over my body and the interesting thing was that i could feel this energy this power coming from their hands and it was like the energy was just like so strong it was it, it, it was almost like i could feel every molecule in my body was just slowly vibrating and uh Again, I knew that I was being cleansed, and um, and this energy was, was a, a sensation of love. It was like all the sort of sensations of love that you've had in your life and uh, sort of condensed into one, you know, whether it was the love of your mother, your father, your pet cat, or your girlfriend or boyfriend or partner or whatever. And it was all this sensation of love all condensed, and it was just like really powerful and very beautiful. Um, so it was, it was a sense also that that stays. I, I, I knew I was being prepared for something. I thought that they're getting me ready for something here and I didn't know what. Um, but I was quite happy, quite happy with it. And there was no sense again of, of me fighting it. I was, I was very accepting of that situation.
1: You said something in your book uh, about the wider location. Uh, you mentioned stars. Yeah. And that's very interesting because. So far, what you've described, people are probably envisioning you uh, in a room of some sort.
0: That's exactly what I thought at first, but then I realised that that wasn't the the case because what happened was uh, I started thinking about my family because I my family had arrived in the in the A and E department and and just before. This happened, and 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 um, before I left my body, as it were, you know. And I thought they're going to be distraught. They're going to be. They were already in a pretty bad shape, as it was. <laughs> They'd just gone onto the train, so uh, you know. I thought they're going to be really upset, but I didn't feel any sense of like, oh my goodness, you know, my family. I just want. Oh, I'll see if I can see them. So I tried to look over the edge of this huge rock that I was on, you know, and uh, and and look down. And when I did look down, I didn't see them at all. But what I did see was this like remarkable sight. It was, it was a, uh, I could only describe it as being like, it was like a huge waterfall of stars. And the stars were like cascading over the edge and just kind of just falling down. And I thought, wow, look at that. You know, it was like Niagara Falls, but it was like, but it was stars and they were just sparkling and just slowly f- flowing over the edge. And as I looked down, I just saw them dropping down and they were just dropping with shooting stars through the middle. And, and it seemed like they were going into one galaxy to another. And then the further I looked, the more colors I could see. And, you know, and I could see that it was just dropping down into infinity. And, um, so of course I knew at that stage that I wasn't in a small darkened room at all, that I was actually in the universe itself. So that was like a, a really um, wonderful moment. It just felt really beautiful, and it was just uh, very exciting <laughs> to know that I was there. And it's interesting because it, any it, something that stayed with me now is, is the fascination for watching any programs on on space travel and astronauts. I'm really keen to know what their take is on on going into space and going and being out in, the, in in the universe itself, and so it's um and it's interesting and it's also interesting as well because watching some of those programs um i mean these guys are, are scientists so, i mean they are they're, they're they're the scientists of all scientists you know so they they'd have to be to go up and do that job and many of them come back and and they 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 come back with a with a spiritual sort of take take on on life you know It's they, they, it's changed them just being there in that in that space in the universe itself, and and coming back to Earth and re-entering, it's, 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 so there is a lot of similarities, you know. I just kind of I think about that quite a lot, you know. That the actual sensation of being in the universe itself is is really remarkable. That concludes part one of our interview. Part two will be available soon
1: in the subscribers area at LegalizeFreedom dot com.
0: Legalize dot